Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open well, good your morning. heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. How are we doing? There we go. There we go. Um, a big shout out to everyone who is watching online, wherever you are streaming from. Uh, we're just excited that you guys are with us. And also, it's good to see a full house today during the summer. And um, so I'm excited. I'm excited today as we continue our kind of mini series called uh, Summer Stories, where we're looking at uh, four different parables or stories that Jesus told to be able to illustrate about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God. And so if you got your scripture, we're going to jump straight to it. Uh, turn with me to, I uh, almost said Matthew, to Luke chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 46. And as you're, uh, as you're turning there, how many of you ever, have ever seen the show Hoarders? How many of you guys are hoarders? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand, right? You know? Um, so my wife and I, our first house, and, and some of you, I've probably shared this story with, it, with you, and so if you've heard this before, just bear with me because I like to repeat myself a lot. Um, but whenever we bought our first house, we, we bought this. It was, uh, it was this old, like, I don't even, colonial-style house uh, built in the 1920s, and my wife's family had literally lived in this house since the, the, the construction of it, of it, of it being built. And long story short, um, her uncle who, who had the house ended up getting really sick, got diagnosed with cancer, and just kind of let the house go. And then uh, his kids turned this house into like a, a party house. And so um, he passed away, and uh, the, the kids kind of got evicted, and the family, the estate came in, and they were trying to settle the accounts and make sure everything's all squared away with it. And so then they approached us, and they said, hey, do you want to buy this house? And we were like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And then we walked into the house, right? And we walked into the house and in the house, floor to ceiling, it was like the show Hoarders. Like, and I mean, I'm talking nasty, like um, cat feces everywhere. You walk into the kitchen and it just smelled like urine from the dogs. Um, there's literally like the ceiling had, had the, 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 you could see the studs up in the ceiling because the plaster had fallen down. Um, I mean, it was just nasty. Has anyone ever seen a house like that? Some of y'all are like, that is our house, and, you know. Uh, you, you know. Uh, but, I mean, it was nasty. And so my wife and I, this was our very first construction project with renovating a house. And because of that house, it will be our very last and has been our very last in the name of Jesus, um, with renovating. But we, we were like, all right, this sounds like crazy, but it's a good deal, so let's do it. So we ended up you know, paying the money. We got into the house, um, and then we started working on the house. And we had multiple contractors come in. Now, guys, I'm, whenever I tell you it was nasty, I'm talking like it was ugly. It was nasty. It was pitiful. It stank holes everywhere, floor all beat up and torn up. And we had all of these contractors come in. And whenever the contractors would come in, they would like, oh man, you know, this is, you always know you're in good hands, right? And like whenever they come in and they're like, oh, you got a project out for you. It's like, thanks, bud. You don't think I didn't know that? You know, um, appreciate the moral support, right? 
but all these contractors, they would come into the house and they would do their inspection and, and they would, you know, kind of ballpark. This is, you know, it's going to be 50,000 in this. It's going to be 60,000. And meanwhile, I'm just like, I don't have 50 or $60,000. Like, do you, Christy? Like, no. It's like, all right, God, we need help. And so we had to figure that out. And we didn't know, you know, what our next steps would be. But every contractor that came into the house, they said the exact same thing. It was always that last little bit, that last little uh, moral support or encouraging thing that, that really helped us get through like five years of renovations, because that's how long it took, which is why I will never renovate a house again in that capacity. This is what they said. You know, it looks really bad, but the foundation and the bones of the house are solid. They just don't make them like this anymore. And I was like, all right, that's encouraging. And so if the shiplap falls down, if the plaster falls down, if the house burns down, the foundation's good, right? And that's, they're pretty much like, yeah, the foundation and the bones are good. And so we went into this building project and we literally started room by room by room by room, ripping down all the plaster, pulling out the electrical and completely transforming this house literally from the inside out. Um, and, and then we ended up selling it and bought another house. Um, the point of my story is this. This experience that Christy and I had to live through reminded me of the story that Jesus tells, the parable that we're going to look at today about where we're building our house upon. What's the foundation that we are building our house upon? Because here's the thing, with our house, if we would have gone into it and they're like, the foundation's cracking, you got maybe 10 years out of it, uh, you've got to redo all the studs in the walls, we would have not bought this house. But it was the fact that the foundation was strong and the bones were solid was the reason why we ended up purchasing this house. Everything else was cosmetic. And I think a lot of times in our lives, we get so focused on the cosmetics of our life instead of the foundation and the infrastructure that supports everything else. Let me read right here in Luke chapter 6. Again, you can follow along if you got your scripture. We're going to pick up in verse 46. This is Jesus talking, and this is the end of his Sermon on the Mount, which is important to know. But he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. Verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation of the rock. And when the flood arose and the streams broke up against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do like this man is a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it or the storms came, depending on your translation, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. Now, I think this is a very interesting text and it's a very interesting thing that Jesus finishes his sermon, the famous Sermon on the Mount with. And, uh, and you can also read this in Matthew 7, a little bit uh, different wording, but it's the same premises, same idea. And what Jesus is talking about here is how are you building your house and upon what foundation are you building your house? And have you ever seen the show Alone? I think it's on like TLC or the History Channel. Anyone? 
It's on Netflix. Wow, this is an illustration. Thank you. One person. So you'll understand because we have one person who's going to be, so my wife and I, going back to Alone, um, we have been watching the show Alone. And since you don't know what the show is, let me fill you in, all right? Basically, uh, they drop 10 contestants out in the middle of nowhere. Usually it's like British Columbia in Canada or out in Alaska. Um, and they basically say the last person standing wins and it's winner takes all. And so you're competing for $500,000, but they drop you off. You have 10 items and, and I'm talking like uh, a, a thing, a fire starter, a saw, uh, a backpack. You got 10 items and you have to scavenger for food. You got to scavenger for water and you've got to make sure that you build a shelter. Now here's the catch. They drop you off in like late September, early October, knowing that winter is just two months away. And so when these people are building their shelters, they have to build it thinking, I'm going to be out here for 70 or 80 or 90 days, and I'm going to be dealing with the harsh storms that are going to end up coming in. And, and if you've ever seen the show, and if you haven't, I highly encourage you to go watch it, and it's definitely family-friendly, and um, it's, it's just really cool, and you kind of fall in love with these characters and stuff. But I love how some of them end up building their foundation. Uh, the, the most recent season... Uh, there's this, this girl and she's like, you know, this maverick chick and she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And she actually went really, really far. She didn't win spoiler alert, but, um, but she builds her shelter. She builds her house by digging into the ground. And so the first episode, the second episode, I'm like, man, she's 15 days in and she doesn't even have a shelter right now, but she was literally digging into the ground for her foundation of her house, and then her shelter ended up being actually really good for whenever the storms came because she was in the ground, it kept it warmer um, and more solid, and she was able to like out survive a lot of people based on her shelter. Now, all that to say, I think about our lives, and just like these contestants, they had to face the harsh reality of storms coming in their life. All of us have to face the reality that there are going to be storms that are going to come into our lives. Storms of financial hardship. Storms of maybe a loss in the family. Storms of tension in the family. Because Uncle John, you know, he just wouldn't keep his mouth quiet and just annoying. And so he offended half the family. And now this year's family reunion, everyone's split and divided. Those are storms. Then there's also marital storms that will come or parenting storms. Can I get an amen to that from the parents? Like, come on, you, you know, it's like kids are out of school. Praise God. Hallelujah. Allie, Judah, be quiet. Don't talk to me. You're sus. And, and I don't even know what sus means, right? But like, it's the new slang of Gen Zers. And I'm just like, I am officially getting old. Like, I know I've got white hair in my beard, but... Um, God is my witness, all right? This is literally what happens at our house. But the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus is talking about, is set up different than our lives or our culture and our society that we face daily. And this is something that we talked about last week. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And if we do not learn to build our foundation upon 
the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then when the storms of life come at us, which they will, not if, but when they do it, we are going to fall down. And we're going to fall down hard. So Jesus is telling this story. And I I, want to just kind of, I'm going to get, I'm going to go somewhere today. So you guys bear with me, all right? Jesus is telling this story, this parable 2,000 years ago. And it's so incredibly relatable to us today. Because in our culture, we are being hit with so much change that's taking place. And here's something I've learned about our culture. And I better get an amen out of this, all right? Everyone has an opinion. Amen. Amen. And some of them are good opinions. Some of them are bad opinions. Some of them are just downright dumb. I'm going to say it, all right? Um, I'm not talking about your opinion, of course. I'm talking about somebody else's opinion. But I think about how are we in our society, in our culture, supposed to navigate the challenges and the storms that life keeps bringing because I feel like it's just like it's Groundhog Day. We're just on repeat. It's just a different, different crisis, different issue, different scenario. But how do we navigate these topics with our culture and with our world? How do we navigate? Let me give you a few. And I want you just rhetorically to think about How would you respond if you're sitting down at a coffee shop and you're having a conversation with someone and these were the topics that ended up coming up? Roe v. Wade. How would you respond to that? Don't answer. Rhetorical. What would your response be if someone had an opposing view of you or opposing view than what your view was in relation to Roe v. Wade? As Christians, we have to be equipped to be able to enter into these conversations, to be able to enter into the fray and to do this the way that Christ tells us to, which I'm going to get to in just a minute. How about this one? I know that this is affecting everyone, the economy. How would you handle conversations around the economy? Bob, how you doing? Man, John, I'm not doing very well. My stock's down 17% today. Yeah, mine too, 32%. So you're doing better than me. So that might be a little bit easier for you to be able to navigate because everyone's going through the same thing. Or how about this? COVID mandates. COVID mandates. Monkeypox mandates. Right? Are they coming? I don't know. What, how, I was talking to Chris about this this morning. And monkeypox, is it the new COVID? Or, or how about this, the war in Ukraine? How would you respond to someone who looks at the war of Ukraine different than how you look at it? Or how would you respond to someone who maybe is from Russia and their heritage is from Russia, but they live here in the United States? How would you respond? Here's another one. The LGBTQIA community. How would you respond to that? How would you respond if someone came up to you and they told you that maybe they struggled with that and maybe they had a same-sex attraction? How would you respond to that? Because, church, I don't know if you know this, but this is more common than, than what we think. 
And our views as a culture, our views as a society are constantly shifting, constantly changing. And with that, it ends up producing a storm. Every time we see one of these major topics get brought up into uh, the political realm, there is a storm that ends up following afterwards. And this one, the most controversial of all, who has the best pizza? I mean, those are fighting words, right? Which, shout out, who does, and you can respond to this one, okay? Who does, on the count of three, just yell it out. Who does have the best pizza? One, two, three, go. Yeah, I disagree with you. I disagree with you, all right? And because I disagree with you, right? No, I'm messing with you. But what does this do? It causes a divide. And when there's a divide, our society and our culture has says, if you do not agree with everything that I believe, then therefore you are my enemy. And that's not what the kingdom of God teaches. That's not what Christians are supposed to be mimicking and living and following their life after. Like we have got this idea that if someone is against us, that they're my enemy or that they hate me. I literally was talking to someone a few weeks ago and this person said, hey, I've had to realize the Holy Spirit showed me that if someone disagrees with me, that doesn't necessarily mean they're my enemy. They just disagree with me and I have to be okay with that. And I believe that that is true in all of our lives. So that being said, all of that was my intro. I'm being serious this time. And so jump with me back to verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And so church, let me, let me just echo the words of Jesus just for a moment, all right? Why do you call him Lord, Lord, on a Sunday and you don't do what he tells you to do on a Tuesday? Why do you call him Lord, Lord, and you don't treat your spouse the way Jesus treated the church on a Friday? Why do you call him Lord, Lord, and you don't follow his commands and his teachings, which are for your benefit? You see, Jesus is Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. And so often, and I'm going to get fired up, so often we've got these Christians who are like, oh, I want to dab a little bit in the world over here, and I want to, oh, let's jump back over to Jesus, dab. And then I want to jump back over here into the world, oh, a little bit of impurity over here. Oh, this, this is great. And I was, oh, let me jump back over to Jesus. <laughs> right? And, and side note, anytime Judah like wins in a game, he's just like, and I'm like, what's that? He's like, I'm dabbing, dad. I'm dabbing because you're sus. I'm like, all right, bro. Love you. You know, that's my boy. Oh, God's truth. God is, God is uh, like, if he was here, which he is here, like, I'm telling you the truth. But like, we've, we've, got, this, we've got this mindset that we could do what we want Monday through Saturday and then show up in the presence of God in the house of the Lord 
and just get our Jesus high, our Jesus fix on, and then go back out and live however we want to live. And listen, I will be the first to tell you, I sin, I am not perfect, but my sin does not make up my identity. I am a saint who has been bought by the blood of Jesus who happens to sin, and then I get on my face like I did this morning, and I say, Father, forgive me, I need more of you. I need more of you. And, and, and not to go off, but like, I'm gonna go off because I've got the microphone. I'm tired of seeing Christians who think that they've got a shotgun spiritually loaded and it's just a Nerf gun and they wanna go into war and they've got nothing spiritually backing themselves up because they're dabbing in Jesus and dabbing in the world. Do you know what Jesus says about that in Revelation? I will spit you out of my mouth because you are lukewarm. Let that settle for a minute. Verse 47. Now we're going to get practical. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. And then he goes into this parable. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when the floods arose, the stream broke against the house uh, and it could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. And so Jesus gives these two examples right here. Right here, you've got one man and he built his house, his house upon the bedrock, upon the foundation, going deep into the ground, making sure that it could support the structure that was being built. And then meanwhile, you've got the other guy who is just like, oh, I don't need any, you know, it's going to here's some sand and some dirt and it's a little mossy and, you know, it's going to start building a house. And they, they built a house and the same storm came. Same storm came. Well, Michael, what, what are you talking about? Well, it's economy, COVID mandates, war in Ukraine, handling the LGBTQ, um, Roe v. Wade. All of, all of that came. The same topics, the same issues came. But one man who built his house upon a solid foundation withstood the storm and the other man collapsed. And everything that he built got destroyed. Now, what I think is interesting here is Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them is like the man who built his house on that solid foundation. So I, I want to get, get a little practical, all right? What does this story remind you of? You want to know what it reminded me of? The very first thing that popped in my head? I'm getting real practical. The three little pigs. I, you know, I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and I'm going to blow this house down. And I don't remember the whole story of the three little pigs, but the first one was what? Straw. The second one was sticks. And then the third one was stone. Is that right? And, and the, the wolf came and he huffed and he puffed and he couldn't blow that house down. And so that third little pig ended up surviving. Which pig are you? See, our foundation will be determined by how we respond to God and others. Hear me out. Our foundation 
will be determined by how we respond to God and to others. And, and how we treat others is equally important as how we respond to God. Because in our society, we say, if they don't like me, I'm just gonna write them off. If they've offended me, I'm never gonna talk to them. They can talk to the bomb because they ain't the bomb anymore. Girlfriend, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I planned that, it's in my notes. Snap finger three times. <laughs> it's not in my notes at all. But how on earth are we supposed to take all of the commandments in the Bible and follow them out? See, there's 613 Levitical commandments or the 613 commandments that we find in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. And this was a very same conversation that many of the people had with Jesus. And so turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 22, picking up in verse 34. If, if we're supposed to build our life, our foundation right here, and it's built upon hearing and doing the word of the Lord, how on earth am I supposed to be able to follow all of these commandments? And this is what Jesus said. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, and he said to them, and you guys know this if you've grown up in church, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And, and so here's this lawyer, he's trying to trick Jesus. He's like, come on, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Tell me what the, you know. And Jesus is like, well, you gotta love the Lord your, with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your, your soul. And the Pharisees probably, lawyer guys probably sitting over there like, oh, okay, no, that, that makes sense. You gotta, you gotta love God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And the second is like it. I love the NLT version. The second is equally important. The second is equally important. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. And so what Jesus is saying right here is if you take the 10 commandments and then you take the 603 other commandments and you compile all of them together and you wanna know how do we sum this up? What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing that we're supposed to do? Let me boil it down for you. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Well, I just don't love people. Then obviously you don't love God because you can't love God without loving his creation. You can't love God without loving those who see things differently than you. You can't love God without loving those who have opposing views of Roe v. Wade. You can't love God and, 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 and say, I love God without loving those in the LGBTQIA community. Well, pastor, I... I, I just disagree. Okay, you can disagree with how they live. Your response is love. Well, pastor, I, I mean, you know, their agenda and they're, they're just really, um, they're bothering me. And so, like, love. Love. I, I love what it says in Ecclesiastes. 
Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he concludes everything and he says, therefore it is my conclusion, the very last section, this is not in my notes, very last section of Ecclesiastes, therefore it is my conclusion, fear God and keep his commandments. Meaning, King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, his final conclusion that the response of a believer's life is to fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus, the son of God, is answering, you want to know how to have a firm foundation? You love God and you love people. How do you follow his commandments? You love God and you love people. This is the response of a believer who has been marked by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I am not saying that you let yourself be a doormat for people. I want to make that very clear. That's a different talk for a different day. We're not going to get into that right now. But it is incredibly important that we remind ourselves daily that our response is to love God. And how do we love God? Through worship, through prayer, through scripture, through what we did, through giving, through through allowing our life to be a sacrificial uh, um, altar for, for Jesus to move. But that also then transpires us into loving those who are sometimes hard to love. Well, Michael, I just don't know if I agree with that. That's fine. I still love you. You don't have to love me, but I'm going to love you because that's what God's called and commanded me to do. How many of you guys have read The Cross and the Switchblade? Cross and switchblade. Yeah, there we go. So we so got some people throwing some hands up now. I love what Wilkerson says, and this is the guy who started Teen Challenge, and then then also started uh, what is now is Times Square Church, which is still meeting in Times Square. Um, and and I love what what he says whenever he's in Harlem, and I believe it's the east side of Harlem, and 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 the gangs are you know they're going at it and stuff, and and this one guy comes up to him and says, "Preacher, preacher, why are you here?" He's like, I'm here because I love you. Yeah, but preacher, you need, you need to get out of here. We don't, we don't want your kind here. And he's like, I'm not leaving because I love you. And then the, the guy, the gang leader, ends up turning to him and says, preacher, I'm going to cut you up into a thousand pieces. And David Wilkerson's response blew my mind. And all thousand pieces that you cut me into is going to love you. First time I read that, I'm just like, oh, God, I don't know how to love people because I'm mad at my neighbor for yelling at us for being too loud. True story. True story. 15 years ago. True story. Like, I was so mad at her. God bless her soul. I mean that for real. You want to talk? Look, I've had those bosses that, that annoy you, drive you nuts. You're just praying to get through the day and just like, Father, if you decide to curse them, like, obviously, don't do that. That is not good. That is not holy, okay? But, but like, real talk, I've been there. I've been there. What does love require of you? So let me, let me boil it down. Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it say, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, you've just committed murder. What does love require of me? You know what? Jesus didn't abolish the law. He just 
raise the standard a lot. Or, or how about this? You shall not commit adultery. We know that one, right? You know, don't commit adultery. Don't sleep around. But Jesus says, if you even look at someone with a lustful eye, you've just committed adultery. Well, I, I, I don't know about that. You know, it's like, again, what does love require of me? Or, or how about this? When your enemies persecute you, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, pray for those who persecute you. Wait, what? But what about that eye for eye, tooth for a tooth thing? Like, what? Like I just, like, they're talking about my eye. I just want to cut that eye out right now. Just, oh, just get it out because they're really, I mean, it would make my life so much easier. I'd have so much fun doing that. Like, no, 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 no. I want you to, pray for them but God I don't want to pray for them yeah but if you started praying for them maybe you would get the heart of your heavenly father and how your father in heaven sees them in the imago day made in the image of God and how their life has purpose and their life has matter their, their life maybe hasn't been discovered yet and maybe your prayers might be the very thing that ends up prevailing them or pushing them or being a catalytical moment for them to be able to encounter the love of Jesus Christ well, well God I just See, it's, it's easy. Guys, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it's easy for me to... You know, here's the easy thing about this passage. Build your life upon his foundation. You know, build it upon the word of God. Great. But that isn't exactly what Jesus says. Because all of us here are hearing. Jesus says, if you want to be the man who's building the proper foundation, not only do you hear but you also do. You respond to hearing the word of God. You, you respond to what it is that Christ has called you to do. And some of us, our response is simply just turning around and walking away. James addresses this. James, the brother of Jesus, addresses this. And so many times, I see so many Christians who are sitting there in their life and, and, and they, they're, you know, I love Jesus. I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise God, Yeshua, you know, hallelujah. And like, oh, don't you dare cut me off right now. I'm going to cut you. I don't know why I keep talking about cutting today. Like, but, but like, you know, but you, 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 you're tracking with me. You, you know what I mean? And, and meanwhile, We've got people in our world who are dying and going to hell. And, and, and like, I, I don't know how, how more blunt I can be about it. But, but literally, our streets are filled with people with a lack of hope. Our, our coffee shops are filled with baristas who have no sense or no purpose. Our schools are filled with educators who are just sitting there doing the day in, the day out, not recognizing that they are molding and shaping the next generation. We are our politicians. Oh Lord, don't even get me started on that. Are filled with a bunch of foolish men and women who've got no fear of God. 
But our response as believers in Jesus Christ, despite whether they are for us or they are against us, despite whether they agree with us or disagree with us, despite whether or not they're praising us or they're persecuting us, our response as followers of Jesus Christ is to love the world around us the same way Christ loved you. And how much did he love you? He hung on a cross for you and I so that God can look at him and see our sin and look at you and see you clothed in royalty, clothed in majesty because of his blood. This is scandalous, man. And and I I, I don't know. You know, is it hard? Yeah. Anyone who tells you living this thing out is easy is lying to you. Being a Christian is just fun and great. Praise God. Hallelujah. No, it's hard. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why we need His power. I want to I close out with this. Worship team, you guys, you guys can come on and come up. Jesus starts out his Sermon on the Mount. He ends it. He ends it with talking about building your life upon this foundation. And so in order for us to get the full context of what he's talking about, you've really got to dive into and go read the entire Sermon on the Mount, which I would strongly encourage you to in uh, in Luke and in Matthew. But this is what Jesus starts out his sermon with. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about this last week. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is poor in spirit? Recognizing that you are broken. Recognizing that you are hurting. Recognizing that you need a savior, that you can't fix it. I'm telling you, once we recognize that right there and we are broken in our spirit, you get the kingdom of heaven. You get the kingdom of heaven. This star-breathing God is going to give you this kingdom for you to be a partaker in it. But, but then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Listen, I I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know if you came in here with a heavy heart. I don't know if you came in here frustrated. I don't know if you came in here broken. I don't know if you came in here mourning. But Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. If you come in here mourning, God calls you blessed. Because at least whenever we're broken and we're mourning and we recognize the sin in our life, God can take that and mold that and do something with that. But he continues on, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. And I said this earlier, we are not doormats for the world. We are men and women who have complete access 
to the power of God, but we restrain it until God tells us to release it. Meekness is not weakness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love that right there. You are blessed when you're hungry, when you're thirsty for the goodness of God. You will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Last night I was walking onto the elevator and there's this girl, and I wish I would have stopped her and asked her, but she came out of the elevator. It's like, you know, hit the button and opens and she comes out and her hoodie just said, just mercy. And I'm like, yes, yes, we need mercy. Our world needs mercy. I need mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those that have got clean hands and a pure heart. I want to ascend the hill of the Lord. I want my heart to be pure. Even this morning, God, search my heart. Make sure my motives are right. Make sure my heart is pure so that I can encounter you and so that I can see you because one moment with you is like a thousand days elsewhere. And I'd much rather have that moment with you at 740 40th Street in Brooklyn, New York than go and have my own motivation or my own desire. God, I want to see you. I want to see you move. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do we build our life upon this firm foundation? We live this out. And what does that look like? Loving God and loving people loving those around us who disagree with us. Not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Listen, all of this is only possible in light of what Christ has done for us which is him being on that tree, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe that he called that out so that you can cry out and God won't forsake you. And he cried out, it is finished. And at that moment, the power of death, the power of sin, the power that constrains so many of us could be broken off if all we do is receive. And so listen, if you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you've said yes and you've backed away, you've, you've been that lukewarm Christian, you've been that one that's dabbing a little bit in the world and dabbing a little bit in Jesus, man, I wanna challenge you today to let this be that moment where you come to God with being poor in spirit, being brokenhearted, being mournful, being a, coming into Adam with a pure heart so that you can get God, so that you can get this star-breathing creator who loves you so incredibly much. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, 
please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.